Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Spencer said, most of you know me, and I don't think that's true. Many, many of you know me, um, but not most. So I am Scott, and it's good to be with you, and good to see those that are uh, with us online. I see a lot of your names, but not many of your faces. I was thinking back to um, the last time that I, and the only time that I ever preached in a chapel service here, and it would have been somewhere in 2003 or four when Matt Walsh and Danny Zacharias and I were all students, and Glenn was a youthful. Beautiful professor who was trying to figure out how to keep us from being too distracted by this new Acadia advantage that had been in for a few years when we all suddenly had laptops in every class. Um, but I appreciated the invitation uh, to come and to speak. We've been, as a family, away in New Brunswick for the last 16 years, though originally from this area, and so it is great to be back around the Acadia uh, community. Uh, Spencer, when he invited me, had mentioned about maybe, you know, as you're thinking about uh, what to preach on, that maybe pick a difficult passage, something that maybe is, is hard to, to work with and, and maybe work through that. And I, I didn't end up going that way because on the surface, <laughs> this doesn't really look like uh, a difficult passage, but I wonder if in the end, it kind of is. It's difficult in a different way, not because we don't understand what it says, so much as it is difficult to really embrace the reality of a death that brings life, and of absorbing and, and living out the life of Jesus as we go about what, in the title that I gave, not in time to get on Facebook, for this uh, sermon is Good Dying in Ministry. So I wonder if we can uh, unite our hearts just to pray and then begin. Oh Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the seeking and searching of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We ask that your spirit would guide us to understand and live out the reality of the life that you have called us to in our various forms of ministry as we walk in the way of Jesus and share the cross that he bore first and uniquely but that we get to share in, in our daily ministry. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife and I recently re-watched the movie Jerry Maguire. Uh, some of you have seen that? Uh, yes? Maybe? Okay. Um, it's the story of a high-powered sports agent who's fired by his agency because of some principles that he has put out there of how they should maybe change the way that they're doing their business, and he's left with just one client. And he finds this to be an exhausting effort. His only client is a charismatic, demanding football player who is, you might say, emotionally volatile and who doesn't take advice very easily. 
And in this great flip-out scene, one of the great flip-out scenes in all movies, in my opinion, Jerry, who's played by Tom Cruise, shouts at his client and says, you don't know what it's like to be me out here for you. It is an up-at-dawn, pride-swallowing siege that I will never fully <laughs> tell you about. And it sometimes, I think, might have seemed to the Apostle Paul, as he dealt with the church in Corinth, that this is a, a, a couple of sentences that might describe what his life as a minister among them may have been. Now, I think Paul would be fairly quick to add that I do it gladly because I love you and because you are, as he calls the Corinthian church of all churches, the church of God. But as we reread his two letters to that church, you get the impression that there has been a lot of frustration along the way. The experiences that all of us go through in ministry can be painful. They can be difficult. Many times over the years of my own pastoral ministry, I have actually found myself taking refuge, running back to 2 Corinthians in particular, because there I could kind of breathe a sigh of relief. Look, this work has always been <laughs> difficult. It's always had its moments, and sometimes those moments have made you feel like quitting. And the way Paul talks about this life that we live, is in terms of this sharing in the cross of Jesus. But that brings us, maybe as we experience our life in ministry, to ask the question about what exactly qualifies as a cross-bearing life. Which of the things that we go through really count as crosses? Do the sicknesses and the physical problems that we experience, do they count as crosses? What about financial trouble, when maybe the church that you're working for does not have enough money to pay you what you would need to live on. Is that a cross that we're bearing? What about the toll that a life that's lived for others can take on our uh, mental and emotional health? Is it only the direct consequences of direct evangelization that count as carrying the cross of Jesus or sharing in his life, or are there other things as well? Sometimes I think we wonder how much of what we're going through is the cross that we are called to bear. In that movie, alongside that declaration about the pride-swallowing siege of serving his client, Jerry McGuire, we start to realize, has something that's really underneath what it is that he is upset about. He says in one scene that in the past, he was always good at getting deals done. He says that I was the lord of the living room, the king of the kingdom. He's frustrated, we come to see, because things aren't the way they used to be. He's frustrated because he's lost the easy power that he had when he was part of a giant corporation that backed him up. Sometimes in ministry, and this is the first thing I want to talk about, is a cross that isn't really a cross. What we think is a cross is actually just our frustration that we don't have the power that we used to have, or that we wish we had. The church is living in a post-Christendom era. Pastors and church leaders can sometimes feel good about themselves while they're annoyed that people aren't coming out to church like it's their duty to do. And I don't mean the people that are members of our church, but the world. 
they are coming to us and they owe that to us or they ought to know better. But this, to let go of this, that longing for that cultural power that we used to have, have is a good death. Mm -hmm. It's a death that needs to happen for all of us and it's the death of maybe institutional power, but often it's the death of personal power that we felt, that we liked when people respected us or people like us just because the church is a part of society in a certain way. Paul, when we begin this passage in 2 Corinthians at verse 7, of course it doesn't begin there, but that's where we picked, we picked it up, talks about the treasure that we have, the treasure of Jesus and what's happened, is something that we have in jars of clay. That image that Paul uses, commentators will point out, doesn't just refer to how fragile the jar might be, which we'll get to when it comes to the things that maybe are the crosses that we bear. But it also has to do with the difference between the treasure itself, which is amazing, and the jars, the vessels that we are who carry it. We are not the treasure. But sometimes we've gotten confused about that. <laughs> Christendom was a jar that was made maybe of iron, or maybe often of gold and diamonds. Indestructible power, and sometimes ostentatious pomp. And now we've come to understand, in most of our experience really, what Paul is talking about here, not just personally, but as a church as a whole, what it is to really be a fragile and not so seen as special vessel that carries around, nonetheless, something that is very special, and that is the message of Jesus himself. We are jars of clay. We're a not very powerful voice, an imperfect voice, that speaks of a powerful Lord. Ministry, we're called to do it in a spirit of humility. It's funny, the things that you go into ministry thinking that you'll be able to do. Now, I think a lot of people that are in the ADC world are already active in ministry, but there may be some we're still looking forward to getting out there and what you can do. But I think at any time in our ministry, I'm coming up on 20 years or so of being in this kind of ministry, and I still have to learn all the time how it's not what you think it's going to be. I still have a file that I had from my computer here in my last year at seminary of all the stuff that I was going to take out and implement in the church, and very little of that has ever actually come to be. But the academic world is different than the church world. Here, we learn that, well, the way things work is that there's somebody who's going to give you a grade at the end, and, you know, you've got to do what they want, and you'll get the grade that you want. But in church, there are no grades, and you don't have that power, and the people in the church do not look at us as the people who are going to make them happy if we give them a good mark for what they do. It's much more messy than that along the way. After Christendom, not just as we learn those, those lessons individually, but as a whole, we have to adopt this posture of learning together, 
of learning with people, of struggling through together, of listening, even though we have no less a posture of confidence in Jesus himself. So that's the first death that I think is a good death, a good dying for us, is that death of, of the power that we maybe had or assumed we had. But Paul goes on to talk, and here I want to look more positively. Paul says in verse 10, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul, as you might know, as you probably do, in the church in Corinth and life with them, he spent extended time with them, but they had personal relationship problems. He found out they said things about him when he wasn't around that weren't so nice. They didn't always listen to the things that he either wrote to them or preached to them when he was with them. It was difficult, but he loved these people because he knew they were loved by God. It's in 1 Corinthians, of course, that he talks about the brother or sister around you as the brother or sister for whom Christ died. Paul went through a lot, but he still could say, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul knows that there's something about ministry that mirrors the story of Jesus and lives out the story of Jesus, makes present the story of Jesus wherever we serve. Jesus was the one who gave himself up for the powerless and identified with the weak and wounded through the cross. And Paul says, we live that life as ministers for Jesus. Some people have called this cruciformity, this life that we're called to, a life shaped by the cross. Cruciformity is deliberately walking in the way of Jesus, often on behalf of and for the sake of others, even when it brings pain or heartache. We can look at the big stories that we know of people who did this. You could think of Martin Luther King Jr. and John Lewis and the rest that walked that bridge in Selma in the mid-1960s, the good trouble that John Lewis talked about in his struggle through the civil rights era, the good trouble that Paul might call good dying with and for Jesus and for the sake of the people that Jesus loves. But many of us won't find ourselves in dramatic situations like that. But our good dying in ministry might look a little more modest, might be that we go out from our seminary training or continue in our work serving in churches where we aren't so sure that our learning matters. We aren't so sure that we're really appreciated, but we are sure that Jesus loves these people and that we are called to serve them. It's that commitment to be present with the community as it's being formed in Christ that can be the painful process that brings that sense of a cross that we carry. And the pain of growing as a community includes the pain of ourselves growing, because we always need to continue to be formed in the way of Jesus ourselves. And this is where I want to go back to the answer of that question about those everyday troubles that we experience. The sicknesses, maybe the mental and emotional health challenges that we or our family go through. The things that we didn't expect to happen, but that happened along the way in ministry. Maybe they didn't happen because of our ministry, but they're there. They too, I think, are a part of the cross-shaped life, the good dying of ministry, as we endure prayerfully in the work we're called to do and trust God to sustain us with the pains that we care, that carry along the way. Near the end of the passage, Paul in verse 16 
reiterates some words that he actually used at the very beginning of the chapter in verse 1. He says, we do not lose heart. When we're going through difficulties, it is very easy to lose heart. When ministry doesn't seem to be succeeding the way that we'd like it to or the way that we thought it should, when people have in any way turned against us, when we meet opposition in following the way of Jesus, whether in terms of a commitment to a biblical message itself or commitment to the justice that we know that Jesus leads us toward for the kingdom. Losing heart and giving up hope at those moments are actually very easy to do, but Paul says he doesn't lose heart because of what God is doing in and through and underneath this cross-shaped living, the good dying of committing to be there for others in the Jesus way. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This contrast between the inner nature and the outer nature that he talks about here is not a contrast between our physical self and our spiritual self or anything like that, or our physical self and our emotional self, because even the feelings that we have, the things that we're aware of in our inner selves are actually all part of the outer nature that this verse talks about. We ourselves may not, probably will not know what it is that God is doing in us along the way in our hard times. When our family went through a particularly difficult time in ministry and personal life many years ago now, a wise person said to me, if Paul is right about God, and I think he is, this person said, you are nearer to the heart of God at this moment than anyone probably realizes. That's what this inward renewal that Paul receives energy from and encouragement from is all about. And at this point, we see that he's using the word we in a different way than he was before that. Early on in this passage, he says, we are doing this and you are having this happen. But here it's quite clear that the we that Paul is talking about includes the whole community. This is something that's going on, not just in us as ministers, but all of us as we share together in the life of Jesus. We share this with the whole community. We are being renewed. And we can feed that inward renewal along the way by attending to God, which is why I had us read the passage from Isaiah chapter 50. The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen, like one being instructed. We learn that word that sustains the weary, and it's not just the weary that we minister to, it's because we've learned it for ourselves as well. The word that sustains us when we're weary will sustain the people that we share with in community. And as we share in these two forms of dying, the dying of the old power and the dying that is every day with Jesus, as we let go of that power that we used to have, we learn the patient way that God is at work. We trust the patient way that God is at work in us, in all our work, even when we can't see it. And as we do it, that inward renewal transforms the up-at-dawn, pride-swallowing siege that we sometimes think and feel like our ministry at its worst moments is. 
into a truly self-giving sharing in the love of Jesus for the world that it actually always is, and that at its best moments, our hearts and our bodies even sense it to be. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.